This is our last psalm of the summer for 2012. Psalm 54. 54 psalms out of 150 psalms means we have 96 more to go. It means we've been through 36% of the psalms in the past. How many years has it been? Three or four years. Okay. So you had Psalm 54. So let's look at the superscription. And it says, to the chief musician, that's who it's addressed to, to the chief musician. That means that this man, whoever it is, is to incorporate this psalm into worship. It's probably going to be sung during a worship service. With stringed instruments. Some of your translations may have the Hebrew word, but it means stringed instruments. This was to be accompanied, have a musical company, not with... Uh, woodwinds, not with percussion, but with strings, which is going to set the atmosphere. Imagine what a song is that's accompanied by strings and violins and, and things of that nature. You can sort of get a feel for the music. It is also, it also says, a contemplation. Some of your translations will have the Hebrew word maschil, uh, which uh, means a contemplation or instruction of David. So this is going to be instructive. We're to think about it. We're to turn it over in our minds, and we're to apply it to our lives, uh, just as the original readers were to do. And then it gives us the historical context. The events and the content of this psalm uh, is related to an historical event when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? So we see that there's a historical setting for the psalm. And that's why these superscriptions are so important, because they give us the context in which the psalm was written, uh, the things that motivated the writing of the psalm, and uh, it helps us to interpret the psalm accurately. Most people read the psalm devotionally and say, here's what it means to me. It doesn't really matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to David. When the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is not David hiding with us? So here we have this historical context. Now let me remind you, in Psalm 52, we saw that Doeg, the Edomite, came to King Saul and ratted out David, saying, David went to the chief priest who gave him some bread. And that got... David in trouble. And that story was found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you'll remember, if you were with us. And then last week, we looked at Psalm 53, and the basis for that psalm, where it says the fool was said in his heart, was the story of Nabal, the man whose name means fool. And uh, David had come to him, and he wanted some supplies and food, and he wouldn't give it to him. And you know, that story was in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Well, now we come to Psalm 54, and we learn it's about Ziphites. And that story is found in 1 Samuel 23. So let's turn back to 1 Samuel 23, and let's discover what the context is. So you have 1 Samuel 21, 1 Samuel 23, 1 Samuel 25. You can see why these Psalms were put together, because they cover a certain history of David's life. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 1. This starts off the story. 
First Samuel 23 and verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And that's a very difficult word because it's a K-E with a short E, Ke, and then the I is a long I, and then La, Keilah. David, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and said, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Man, we go there. You think things are bad here? We go out there and fight. We're in trouble. Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now, what you have here is this event that takes place. And we go on and we discover in verse 13 uh, that King Saul, actually during this setting, King Saul discovers where David is. And King Saul wants to kill David. He wants to send these troops to kill David. So if you look down and he starts to pursue him. So if you look down at verse 13, it says, So David and these men, about 600. Now remember that David has an army himself of about 600. That's not as big as the army that Saul has, which is thousands. But these would be David's young men who support him. He arose and he departed Keada, and went wherever, and they went wherever they could. And what was told Saul that David had escaped from Keada, he halted his expedition. So Saul is in pursuit of King David in these chapters, and that's what you need to know. Now look at verse 14. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness, and he remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph, or of Ziph, of Ziph. Wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul, that Saul, that's King Saul, had come out to seek his life. That's a very important phrase, to seek his life. You're going to see that phrase repeated in Psalm 54. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph, in a forest. Now look at verse 19. So there he's hiding in a forest in Ziph. Now look at 19. Then the Zephites came to Saul at Gilbeah and said, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods? In the hill of Hakalah, which is in the south of J. Simon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord. I don't think they were blessed of the Lord, do you? Who's the Lord blessing? He's blessing David. But look at Saul. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me, 
please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there? I'm told he's very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides. And come back and tell me with certainty and I'll go with you and it shall be if he is on the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And so they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. So, that's the setting. David is in Ziph and the Ziphites turn him in. Now, who are the Ziphites? Anybody have any idea? They live in Ziph. That's why they're called Ziphites. That's why you're calling Dallasite. What do you think? These are Jews. These are David's countrymen. But they want to curry favor with the king. And so they turn on David. They live in a land called Ziph, which is in Judah. In the province of Judea. It's 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And it's a family of Jews. It's a clan. Just as you had, you know, a lot of people lived in Judah. You had the Smith family, and the Jones family, and the Johnson family, and you know, the Einstein family, and the Ziff family. They lived in that area. But they turn on David, his own kinsman. Okay? And they betray him. Okay? So now, that's the setting. With that setting, we can go pretty quickly through, through the psalm. So let's turn back to Psalm 54. And, and, and let's look at the outline and, and let's, let's read the psalm. And here's how I'm going to divide the psalm. I'll give you an outline. Uh, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see David's cry for help. That'd be verses 1 through 3. He makes an appeal to God to help him in the situation. And then verses 4 and 5. We're going to see David's assurance that God answers. He suddenly gets confidence that God has answered his prayer for help. And then verses 6 and 7, we're going to see David's promise to praise the Lord as a result. Okay? So that's how we're going to break it down. So let's look at David's cry for help. Let's look at verse 1. Here's what he says. Save me, O God. In other words, deliver me. Spare me. Spare me from whom? From King Saul and his army. So, if you just read that on your own, save me or deliver me or spare me, O God, and you didn't know the background, you wouldn't know who he's wanting to be delivered from, would you? You see why the background, the context is absolutely essential. This is the greatest tragedy, in my opinion, of preachers in general in America, is they don't understand the historical context of a book, and all they do is make application to their present-day audience without understanding how it applied to the original audience. What we're hunting for when we study a scripture is we're hunting for the author's intent. What was his intent when he said it? And once you got that, then you can make the proper application for your present audience. So he's asking to be spared from King Saul, from the enemy, his enemy, who should be serving God, but is not. So he says, save me, O God. And then look what he said. By your name, 
Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Now, the word vindicate there means uh, give me justice. Deliver me, and when you do, justice will be done, in a sense. Now, look at the phrase, by your strength, and by your name. Do you see that? Save me by your name, vindicate me by your strength. These are parallels. To uh, invoke God's name is to invoke God's power, is to invoke God's strength. Listen again. To invoke God's name is to invoke God's power, is to invoke God's strength. If you invoke the name of Superman, Superman, help me! You're invoking his strength, aren't you? If you say, Barney Fife, help me! What are you going to get from Barney Fife? Huh? You're going to get... Something like that, Barney Fife. So when you say, God help me, you're saying, God, use all your strength to come to my aid. And then he says this in verse 2. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. That's another parallelism. Line 1 means the same thing as line 2 in that particular verse. In other words, hear hear and give ear hear my prayer, and give ear are parallels. Hear what? Hear my prayer. Give ear to what? Give ear to the words of my mouth. Notice it's a vocal prayer. It's words that are coming out of his mouth, not a silent prayer. This is a point of desperation where he's just cried out, Oh, God, help! And he asked God to respond to that. So, we say verses 1 and 2 are his cry for help or his appeal. And then in verse 3, he gives the reason for the appeal. Because, of what it says in verse 3, strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. Remember? I said, remember that Saul is seeking after his life. You would remember that. That was right there. So, he says, strangers and who else? Enemies or oppressors. Now, obviously, uh, Saul is king of Israel. You wouldn't think that he's a stranger, would you? But he calls him a stranger. The Ziphites are his neighbors to the south. You wouldn't think they were strangers, would you? But he calls them strangers. Why? Because if you looked at them, they wouldn't look like these friends and these neighbors. If you look at this man, he doesn't look like a legitimate king of Israel. These people are acting like they are strangers to the covenant of God. And they're definitely oppressors of King uh, of David. So he says, they've risen up against me. And this, is a, these are, this again is one of those parallelisms. Look at the phrase, risen up against me. And then the next phrase, have sought after my life. They want to kill him. That's what they want to do. They're not trying to arrest him. They're trying to kill him. Why is King Saul trying to kill him? Because he's paranoid. Like many leaders are. You've worked for some of these leaders, haven't you? They're threatened by anybody who's competent. They're threatened by and jealous. And King Saul is afraid that David is going to come in and become king. He wants him out of the way. And he will go to any extent to kill King David. And some of your translations say ruthless enemies. They're ruthless. 
And that's what he is. Whatever it takes, he's going to find this man, hunt him down, and kill him. And then look what he says at the end of verse 3. They have not set God before them. You see that? They have not set God before them. That means they're not keeping God in their conscience. God is not the focus of their lives. They are practical atheists. Oh, they say they believe in God. In fact, King Saul said, Lord bless thee. He doesn't act like it, does it? He acts like he doesn't know God. He acts like there's no God. See? So practically speaking, he doesn't retain God in his thinking. And that's why uh, Psalm 54, in a sense, is, is related to Psalm 53. Because in Psalm 53 it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Uh, and these are, these are Jews who understand that there is a God intellectually, but they act like there's no God, that they can get away with it. So when you look at that, I want to ask us something. If people would look at our lives for a week or a month, would they think that we're Christians who believe in God, or would they think that we are self-made men? men? Would they think that we are uh, people who just take the bull by the horns and we're going to solve a situation as if God didn't exist? In other words, what do our actions say to those that are looking at us? Do we hold God in front of us? Do we set God before us? Is God the person that we're always turning to? Or is it human ingenuity? Is it, is it the government? No. Is it your parents? Is it your inheritance? What are you trusting in? Is it God who set before you? He says, say law. Think about this. See that in the verse 3? You need to think about that. Because you might not be any different than the Ziphites. You might not be any different than King Saul. So this is the appeal and the reason for the appeal. Now, in verse 4, everything turns. This is what I call a pivot. Okay? The story pivots on verse 4 and verse 5. And here David has the, gets the assurance of his prayer, and he gets the confidence. Look what it says in verse 4. Behold, look! Suddenly in the middle of the prayer he just says, Look! Behold! And then he cries out, God is my helper. He realizes that uh, his prayer has been answered. See? One translation puts it this way. Look, God's coming to my aid. He suddenly has this inward assurance that God is going to deliver him and deliverance is, is on the way. This is the confidence that David has. So notice, if you look at the end of verse 3, they have not set God before them compared to verse 4, David says, Behold, my God. You see the difference? Verse 3, They have not set God before them, but, verse 4, Behold, God. See, David does set God before him, and he expects to be rescued. He says, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Does Saul uphold his life? No. Do the Ziphites uphold his life? No. Then who's God with? God's with David and those who uphold his life. How many people does he have with him? 600. No 600 can stand against any army because God is with them. So God is with those who uphold David's life and God is against those who oppose David's life. And then look what he says in verse 5. He, that's God, will repay my enemies for their evil. 
he will repay my enemies for their evil. That's the Ziphites. The Ziphites who have betrayed him. They're his enemies. And what they did is evil. Betrayal is evil. Think of Judas Iscariot, who acts like a friend, and like the Ziphites, goes to the rulers and says, I know where he is! I can lead you to him! That's evil. Premeditated, planned attempts at hurting people and causing them harm when they haven't done anything to you. All they have done has been good to you and you turn on them. That's evil. If you want to know what evil looks like, that's evil. Have you ever been evil? I have. Have you ever betrayed somebody? Went behind their back? and never done anything to you. Say something about them? That is an act of evil. And look what David says. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Let me tell you, if you're doing these evil things, and a lot of Christians do this, we're not talking about whistleblowers. They're exposing evil. I just want you to know that. He's talking about causing harm or hurt to someone else without a just cause in order for you to curry favor, in order for you to get into a position of favor. That's evil. Premeditated evil. Many of us should be convicted of that. And then look what he says at the end of verse 5. He says, Lord, cut them off in your truth. Which simply means take their lives. Cut them off means kill them. Uh, so that's what he's asking. He's asking for God to kill these people. Boy, <clears throat> I'm glad God didn't kill me when I did some evil things. Because that's what David asked for. Kill them. Kill King Saul. You know, when I look back, and you're, you're familiar with the story, and it just, here's what it says. You know what happened to King Saul, don't you? Yeah, it says, uh, King Saul had to go out and fight against the Philistines. He, he goes to the witch of Ender. He says, what should I do? She says, ah, go into battle. So he goes into battle. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers of the Philistines hit him. He was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword, and he fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw, it, saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword, and he died. And that's how Saul died. Now, you say Saul took his own life. He was hit by the archers, and then he took his own life. No, guess what? God cut it off. And that's just the means that God used and uh, so David says, you know, God, take his life. Kill him. And that's in the future. Look, what he's doing to me right now, you will repay him in the future 
cut him off. Notice, he will repay my enemies in the future. David doesn't know when the repayment will take place. He does not know when Saul will die, but he knows that God will handle the situation. All David has to do is wait. See, he's got confidence already in verse 4 that his prayer has been answered. That's an inward confidence, but it hasn't been answered yet. It won't be, it won't be answered until the future when God will repay his enemies. And then David goes into praise in verses 6 and 7, and he makes a vow. Here's what he says. I will freely sacrifice to you. He's talking about a free will offering. <coughs> freely sacrifice. Not under obligation. Not, Lord, if you get me out of this, then I will do this. He's not making a bargain. He just knows God's answered him, and he says, I will freely sacrifice to you. Voluntarily sacrifice to you. Now, there are three kinds of free will offerings in the Old Testament. And this one is associated with praise. Because notice it says in verse 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. And uh, one of the sacrifices is you brought an animal and you sacrificed it to the Lord as a free will offering. You weren't under any obligation. And you did it simply to praise God's name. So that's what David says he will do. And then he says this. The reason for making that promise. For it is good. For it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. Two reasons he's going to do this. Number one, for God is good. Has this been a theme of these last three or four psalms? The goodness of God endures forever? Hey, what's God like? I can tell you what he's like. God is good. But he's also great. <laughs> God is good and God is great. Look at this. For the Lord is good. That's number one. And number two, for he has delivered me out of all trouble. The Lord is great. In verse 6, the Lord is good. That's his character. Notice he is good right now and he's always good. That's his character. Presently, God is character. It's, he's good. That's his character. Verse 7, for he has, notice this, past tense, for he has delivered me out of all trouble. That's God's acts. He's going to praise God because God is good and God deserves to be praised. And he's going to praise God because in the past, God has always delivered him out of all of his troubles. Not once has God failed to deliver David. And if God has done it in the past, now listen, and has never failed, and God is good, then David knows that God will do it again. Because that's God's character, and that's how God act, God's acts. And so on this basis, he vows to make a free will offering to God. And then the psalm ends this way, And my eyes has, have, has seen its desire upon my enemies. Now, what in the world this means? This is a very difficult uh, verse to translate, and it's translated many different ways in different translations. <laughs> But I'm just going to read it in the New King, King James. My eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Now this could mean, I've seen what God's going to do to my enemies in my mind's eye. I see it already. could mean that. Uh, it could mean, my eye has seen, past tense. You see that? 
He could be referring to, in the past I've seen God take care of my enemies. And so on that basis, I know He's going to take care of my enemies again. And that's why I praise Him. Uh, or it could be present tense. Some translations translate this last part of verse 7 in a present tense, and it reads like this. My eye can look bravely at my enemies. My eye can look bravely at my enemies. In other words, if I know God's with me, I don't have to cower. I can look my enemies right in the eyeball. I can look at them eyeball to eyeball without any fear of them hurting me because God's with me. Now, it really doesn't matter which translation is right because the bottom line is the same, isn't it? God is good, and God will repay evil. So, with this um, confidence, we can all say with Paul, or with David, that if we keep God foremost in our minds and we live for God, realizing who God is, that God will be our fortress, God will spare our lives, and we should live for Him. And so that ends Psalm 54 in the context of the Ziphites. So, next May, we'll pick up on Psalm 55, and next week, we're going to move back to the future. And we're going to go in Matthew chapter 11. So, that ends our Psalms for the summer. Father, we thank you for uh, a psalm that uh, sums up, really, the Christian life. We, we know that if you are with us, who can be against us? If you've done this for David, a man who has a heart for you but is very flawed, you'll do it for us. Oh, Lord, help us not to rely on our own devices and our schemes and our political connections to get ahead. Help us not to fall into the trap of doing evil. But Lord, help us to always keep you in front of our eyes, realizing you're a good God, and you're for us, not against us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.